This episode is sponsored by Mint Home Loans. With mortgage interest rates nearing all-time lows, now is the time to see what options you may qualify for. Make Mint Home Loans your trusted partner for all your mortgage needs. In today's times, your money matters. Shop local with Mint at 410-458-6847 for any home loan questions you may have. Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. It's also about getting to know who you are and what drives you, what fuels you. On your journey, you're going to meet a lot of very interesting people. Some you're going to label dynamic. Others you're going to label unforgettable. And many times it's easy to compare ourselves to what others have done what they've achieved, how they've been successful, or maybe even at times how they blew up their life. I'd ask you, no, I challenge you, who are you comparing you to, the person in the mirror? That is the question you must ask yourself, is are you giving it all you have? Is each day the person you're fighting with, is it yourself or is it with somebody else? Because I have found that the battle begins with your mind. People talk about new year. I believe new year, new mind. That unless you develop your mindset that makes it different than the year before, what is going to be different? How are you going to improve the areas that you know need improving? Are you going back? I mean, some people might claim, right, that what a zebra never changes its stripes. And I would say to you, I believe that with your mindset, you can become who your family needs you to be who your partners need you to be, quite frankly, who your community needs you to become. So with that, our guest today is Ronald Diamond. Ronald is the founder and CEO of Diamond Wealth Strategies. Diamond Wealth Strategies is a firm that serves over 100 single-family offices. Well, this is private groups that they manage the financial affairs of one particular ultra-wealthy family or individuals. His clients have assets ranging from $250 million to $30 billion. He also graduated from Northwestern University. He also is involved with Stanford University. This is somebody that, to me, empowers the belief and mindset that you can achieve and become anything as long as you have a cookbook, as long as you have a goal, and putting people around you to hold you accountable. This is someone... Who does that just for me? Ron, welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. Thank you, Dustin. Pleasure to be here. I've been a big fan of your podcast. Ron, you know, I just got done reading for the audience a bit of your bio, but it's one that for me personally rings a bell, and that is that you are working with some of the most successful people in the world. You have reached this status that many people can only ever aspire. How did this start for you? Take us all the way back. Well, I, my first job, I graduated from Northwestern, and my first job was at uh, Drexel Burnham. And Drexel was a fascinating place because it was, at the time, it was kind of like Goldman Sachs on steroids. It was the most profitable firm in the country. And I remember vividly, I was there for two years, 
And I was in the room when Fred Joseph, the CEO of Drexel, announced that Drexel was going bankrupt. And I didn't, you know, it was unfortunate for me. I lost a good job, um, but I didn't have a lot of stock options. I was 24 years old. But I remember very vividly sitting in the room and I'm watching people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, and they were literally weeping. Many of them had lost all of their money. And from that, and knowing how important and influential Drexel was, my takeaway from that was that I would always be loyal to people, but I would never be loyal to a company. And that's probably why I started my own firm, started a hedge fund and went from there. So now your advisory business, Diamond Wealth Strategies, you know, you serve more than a hundred single family offices. What is a single family office or quite frankly, what's a family office? That's a great question. And I actually speak at a lot of these family office conferences. You know, I, I was speaking at Stanford and I had five family offices um, on the panel and I asked them what's a family office and they gave five different answers and um, nobody was right and nobody was wrong. Family offices, um, the right now, it, it's become a buzzword in the industry. Um, you need a minimum of about $250 million to have it make economic sense to set up a family office. And that's only if you're going to invest in the public markets. I would argue $500 million if you're going to invest in the private markets. And the goal of the family office is rather than having a company, what you're trying to do is you're trying to do, you're trying to create alpha, which is make money. You're trying to do estate planning. You're trying to do wealth transfer, trying not to spoil the children, um, trying to grow the asset base and do it in a way that's meaningful where there is complete alignment of interest and you do everything in house and family offices right now control roughly $10 trillion in capital. You combine that with the fact that over the next 10 years, there's about $65 trillion in capital that's going to be moving from the baby boomers to the next gen. Um, this market's only going to get bigger. Now, trust and respect are both earned. How did you earn that with these individuals? Well, it, it doesn't happen right away. And what's interesting is when you're dealing with institutions, the first thing they're going to talk to you about is what's your track record and you know how have you done, et cetera. With family offices, a lot of the reason that, that they came into existence, and a lot of them came into existence after 08, after the crash, was that families stopped trusting Wall, many families, not all, but many started stopped trusting Wall Street. They, when, when 08 happened, hedge funds put up gates. People didn't know what gates were. And so families right now, the first, second, third thing a family office is going to ask you when they're going to work with somebody, anybody, any service provider, is they want to know they can trust you. And the fourth thing is, what's your credentials? What are your background? I think when you look at it from an institutional standpoint, that's flipped. Mm -hmm. But right now, trust means everything. And that's just something that is earned that no, you know people know that you're looking out for their best interest. And it, it's earned over time. And at Drexel, what sort of lessons did you learn there? Like, what did you pick up? Well, I picked up a lot. I mean, first of all, it's my first job. Um, so I picked up a lot. It, it was, the people were incredible. Uh, and, you know, what's come out of Drexel, Apollo came out of Drexel. Um, a lot of phenomenal firms have come out of Drexel. Um, what I really, my takeaway was the people. Again, I, I wouldn't be loyal to a company ever, but People in relationships is really what I learned from there. The importance of developing relationships. And to me, every aspect of my business 
from when I started at Drexel to where I am now, a hundred percent of it has to do with relationships and building those relationships. And that's really the main takeaway was, was the importance of relationships. And did that help you then launch the hedge fund pinnacle capital? Yeah, because I knew a lot of people and, you know, I had a you know pretty good track record as far as, um, you know, what I'd done previously. And I, it didn't start as a large fund, um, but we grew fairly quickly and we started in the nineties. So right around 1990, which was relatively early in the hedge fund world. Um, we ran about 250 million. Uh, we never uh, had huge years. We, um, you know, we beat the S&P 10 or 10 years. So the people who were in the fund were quite happy. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, they didn't call them family offices back then. They called them rich people. And now they call them family offices. And the, the fund, um, we had tailwind behind us because in the 90s, it wasn't that complicated to make money and we were good stock pickers sold the company when i thought the market was overvalued um took a little time off and then i started diamond wealth now how do you select companies or organizations that interest you like what do you look for and then also in terms of board positions i imagine you probably get lots and lots of requests to sit on boards how do you decide i mean you only have so much time right Correct. Um, so it's a good question. As far as boards, I'll start with that first. Um, yes, I'm asked to go on a lot of boards because I have access to a lot of uh, family offices, um, and it has to be something that I'm con- that I'm concerned about that, that that matters to me, and it has to be people that I know and um, the the founder and the people that I've been working with are people that I trust implicitly and that I'm comfortable with. Again, all about relationships. Um, as far as um, companies are concerned, you know, we don't do anything in the public markets. I think it used to be easier to create alpha in the public markets in the 90s, maybe early 2000s. I think it's very difficult now to do that. And, you know, I personally put a lot of money in ETFs because I think it's very challenging. What I, where we invest is in the private markets, which would be private equity, venture capital, real estate and credit. And all I do is everything. I just try to find myself, surround myself with people that are smarter than me in various areas that I trust and I grow the business. That's, there's no secret sauce. That's all I do. Now, what's it take in terms of a time commitment? Because there's a lot of people out there that especially watchers that will watch or, or hear the show and their takeaway is going to be, well, I can't start my own company that I can't do all these things that, that when it in terms of time and then others are trying to get their business off the ground. What does it take to succeed, Ron? Working smart. So I'll give you a perfect example. It was when I was at Drexel my first, the first summer, um, it was August. And um, I was calling on some clients on a Saturday. And the head of, or the head of my division at Drexel came in. I, I was really, you know, figured he'd think highly of me because I was the only one there. And he calls me into his office and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm calling clients. He's like, why? And I said, well, you know, I want to work hard. He says, it's August, it's a summer, people aren't going to be around. You need to work smart. You don't need to work hard. And that was really the takeaway. And again, it's not, it's not rocket science, but figuring out a way to work smart and surrounding yourself with good people. Again, it all comes back to relationships. And if you've got the right relationships, you know who to talk to, and you could just save so much time in whatever it is you're trying to build starting a starting a company uh, to be successful at, at a company is not so much that you need a certain iq or a certain 
um, skill set, but you need the mental aptitude. You need the stomach to do it because it, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's challenging to start businesses. Most businesses don't work. Most businesses fail. And a lot of that has to be when you're, if you do decide to start your own company, um, you really have to keep a positive mindset and you really have to surround yourself with people that are positive because there's a lot of challenges growing a business. And has the pandemic influenced your business strategy or the way you go about tackling problems? really impacted my business strategy uh it's impacted a little bit about the way i look at the world i you know i i just think that um you know we're this is very unnatural i mean you know i'm home i'm doing this interview from home i'm usually in an office um i'm usually speak at conferences and i'm around people and now i can't be so what it really for me with the pandemic it focused on is is what, what's really important in my life, which is something called gratitude. And I think it's something that, you know, my daughter, I remember she was in sixth grade and she calls me and we have a deal where if you call three times, it's an emergency. So I was, I was in a meeting and I get a call three times. So I just stop the meeting. I pick up my daughter's like, dad, what are the five most important things in life? Like, like, okay, well, let me, let me call you back. Okay. This is not an emergency. I'll call you back. In any event, fast forward, um, I helped her with that project and for her at the time was being popular, um, candy, you know, just things that kids were important. But to me, I looked at it, what was really the five most important things for me. And it really resonated for me for a couple of weeks. And then I wrote down and my daughter asked me, well, what are yours? And I really thought about it. So mine were in order, love, gratitude, attitude, balance, and laughter. So these are, it's not right. It's just for me, these are the five most important things um, for me. And I think what the pandemic taught me is, I mean, the love of your family is just so important. The relationships you've got, having gratitude. Yes, a lot of things suck right now, but there's also a tremendous amount to be gratitude, to be grateful for. Um, your attitude is, is everything I think in life. Balance, which is one of your questions earlier. Um, if you're a workaholic, it, you're not living a successful life. I mean, I know a lot of miserable billionaires. Um, you need to have balance in your life. It, it's got to be, you know, and balance is different for everybody. And the last thing for me is it's just laughter. I just, it, without a sense of humor, life's too challenging. So those are the things that I look at. Yeah, that's, and that's great that's perspective. Kind of yeah, great perspective. Let's talk about that a little bit more that you've had the, you've had the opportunity to know and meet some of the world's wealthiest people. And as you just said, some billionaires who are truly miserable. I mean, I wrote a note to myself. I mean, this is most people candidly would think of the ultra wealthy as having less anxiety, less worries, less fears. Isn't that true? Nope. Um, it's I won't say it's the opposite, but um, I, I think what happens is when you know you're younger. Um, you know, everybody wants to, not everybody, many people, one of their goals is to make a lot of money and to, to become ultimately become wealthy. Um, but at what, at what cost and at what point um, and how do you do it? And one of the reasons I love what I do is I get to be around some fascinating, I mean, yes, they're extraordinarily wealthy people. They're worth between 250 million and 30 billion. So these are the wealthiest of the wealthy, but I learn a lot from them, not so much about money, how they live their lives. So I know people who are very, very happy, very fulfilled, feel what I'll use the word enlightened, um, 
and just know how to balance their lives. And then I know people who every day it's just, I need to make more money, more money, more money. Those people are miserable in general, not always. And what I found was the people who were the type A personalities who, you know, they say, I'm going to make X. And when I hit X, whatever that number is, I'm going to retire. And then they retire and play golf. If they do that, they slowly die. You need to be using your mind, whether it's playing bridge, whether it's being involved in philanthropy, whether it's being involved um, in any kind of nonprofit organization or community services, you need to be engaged. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is once I'm worth X, then things change. It doesn't. It, it definitely does not. And it, it all has to do with perspective. And setting goals. I mean, how do you set goals that maybe my goal isn't to become a billionaire? It could be some other capacity or facet of my life. How do you set goals, Ron? Well, I don't have a goal um, per se as far as, okay, I want to be worth X, okay? I mean, what happens is once you set goals and you reach X and you realize, okay, well, you know, nothing's changed per se. Um, mine is much more philosophical. It's much more, look, at the end of the day, um, you know, you want to be enlightened. You want to, you want to be fulfilled. You want to, um, live a full, rich life, rich, not wealthy, but rich meaning with meaning. And so for me, my goal is I joke with my, uh, I joke with my kids. I want to find enlightenment at the four seasons in Maui. So it's kind of a combination. <laughs> that is kind of funny. And, you know, I look at it and say that, Ron, I, I know you, you could have retired. You could have gone and done all the things that were simple, yet you chose a path that includes accountability. Why? Because it's what I like to do. Um, it, it, you know, again, what I do would be, would be horrible for some people. Um, I've got friends who uh, have retired and they golf six days a week and they're really, really happy. They love it. And that's terrific. I don't make any judgments whatsoever. For me, in order to feel fulfilled, I've got to do stuff um, where I'm I'm using my brain, I'm being active, and you know, for me, one of the most important things is from a philanthropic side is figuring out a way to give back, and that's what we're we're creating this at at, uh, at Stanford, where we're trying to figure out how family offices can who have a, an inordinate amount of capital, how they can take what they do and more efficiently run um a nonprofit or a philanthropy perfect example my first boss was michael milken when you know my dad who i love more than anything in the world passed away from prostate cancer at 57 yeah, um man. when michael mm. very um when michael milken was in jail he developed prostate cancer when he got out rather than throwing a hundred million dollars into the american cancer society he built it like a venture capital firm a million dollars and this crazy idea, two million here, three million here. And as a result of that, more people, most men will die with prostate cancer if they live long enough, but not of prostate cancer. So what I want to do is to create a way, a vehicle where you could, you can't run a charity or a philanthropy exactly like a business, but you could run it more like a business. And I think if you look at what's happened with Bill Gates, with the vaccines, you look at what Mike Bloomberg's done, you look at what, what, um, what Milken and his institute's done, um, I want to figure out ways where you could do good using business principles, but from a philanthropic standpoint. Now, but you don't have to be super wealthy to have a philanthropy type mindset, right? No, you could have a philanthropy type mindset and be broken, live in college. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's we're 
we're here for a very short period of time. Average life expectancy is what, roughly 85, 86. Um, so you're here for a very short period of time and you have to, you have to think about what's important to you. And I think um, for most people, that's not, you know, we're so inundated with these phones and with everything's going with technology. You just have to think about, take time for yourself and think about what's important to you. And truly what's important to me is different than what's important to other people. But I've thought this through. And one of the things I've been very good about is thinking, how do I want to, in an ideal world, how do I want to live my life? How do I want to um, be remembered? And, and, and how do I want to, and you, the answer is just being true to yourself. And it's different for everybody. It's different for every single person. But for me, um, surrounding myself with people that I look at as role models who've lived a balanced life, not the richest people, but the people who are most happy, who have the most happy family life, who have children who are not entitled, but uh, are, are thriving. That's really what it's all about. And family, friends, relationships, um, that's the key to me. That's great perspective. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, and again, looking at only from my lens over the years, that it is very easy to see the ultra wealthy and say that there is a greater expectation on them, that they shouldn't have anything. They should give it all away. How can one person spend a billion dollars in their lifetime? Why is it so easy for us on the outside to put all of these expectations on these individuals of which we can't even hold ourselves accountable in what we can do ourselves? Well, that's a really good question. Look, I think there's certain people, you look at Bill Gates, okay? You look at Michael Bloomberg, you look at Michael Milken. These are three people that are uh, role models of mine from a philanthropic standpoint. And basically what they've done is they, they found causes that are important to them and they figure out a way to use their business acumen and help these causes advance. Um, I think it was Dan Sainor gave a TED talk once and he talked about philanthropy and he said, you know, the problem with charities and philanthropies is they're run poorly. He's like, the first question people would ask is, what's your overhead? It's like, you would never go to Apple and say, what's your overhead? That's a stupid question. So I believe that if you, you can't run a philanthropy exactly like a business, but you could run it more like a business. And it's my belief that, you know, right, like for, for instance, right now, what would I do? Um, I would say um, if I were in charge, I would basically say, Jeff Bezos, you figure out a way to to, um, to do logistically deliver all the vaccines. The government will partner with you. I mean, I, I can almost guarantee you it'll be more efficient than what's happening now. So you need to combine the business mindset with the, the with government and with with other aspects. And talking about fuel, you know, you've had all the things, you've reached that pinnacle of success, and yet you keep going. What fuels you? It's a good question. Um, I don't really look at it as a, that I'm working. I mean, I, I, you know, people, a lot of people, you know, they work um, from you know, eight in the morning till six at night and then they take off. And then, so for me, it's a continuum. There's, there's, there, I, I'm always working and I'm always not working. It's doing what I really enjoy. So I'm fortunate that um, I love what I do. Um, I run two Tiger 21 groups, um, which are kind of, it's a peer to peer group. Um, I absolutely love doing that. Um, it's not work for me. Um, doing um, what I'm doing when I'm talking to clients and looking at different investments and in venture capital and private equity or real estate, I don't look at it traditionally the way most people would look at it as work. 
So I love what I do, and I, I've been fairly thoughtful about finding the right balance. Now I'm, I make mistakes, and sometimes I overwork, and sometimes I, I need to tell myself to slow down. But in general, uh, I'm just very cognizant of it, and I think a lot. I think a lot, and I think, and I read a lot, and I think that's important. I think that is. Now, going over to more of a personal question as a dad, you know, many years ago when I became a papa, somebody gave me this advice, and they said, Dustin, that your job is to prepare your kids for the day you're no longer here, that their dad isn't there anymore as a, as a role model, as a man. What do you think your kids' takeaway will be from their dad? Again, a great question, particularly because I've got daughters who are 17 and 20, which is not the easiest age. Um, but I think that, you know, right now, uh, you know, they see, um, they see, they see me working hard. They see me laughing a lot. They see me with friends. They see how I treat people. I, I'm, I hope that, you know, if my daughter ever treated a waiter um, any different than the, she treated a CEO of a, of a company, um, she'd be punished. You need every, we're all, look, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And you just, I, I want my daughters to realize they've been given a lot. So they should have a lot of gratitude. The worst thing for children is to feel entitled. And I see a lot of entitled kids and that there's nothing worse. So if you have a modicum of success, I think it is important to ground your kids, make them appreciative of what they've got and realize what they have. Maybe most people don't have, but daddy works really, really hard and they see it. It's not, if I tell them something, they probably won't listen. But when they see me working, when they see me doing, treating people, how I like to treat people, that's, I think what makes the difference. Not what I tell them. I think that's it. To me, as, as a dad, that's the that's the way that I see the world, too, is to treat others the way we want to be treated. And that when I'm no longer here, let's say my dad treated the waiter the same way he would treat a Ron Dime, and that is with respect. So, Ron, if you were giving some advice to a young Ron, you know, you're an old dude now, looking back, what advice would you give a younger you? I don't consider myself an old dude. <laughs> you um, still got your mojo, but what would you say to a young well, buck, starting out at Bear Stearns or one of the others at Drexel? I... You know, look, I think you just have to really, you know, going, being, being true to yourself. And again, it's different for everybody. I mean, what, what, what makes the way I looked at the world, the lens through which I looked at the world. And I think it's true for everybody when you're 20 is going to be different than when you're 40 and different when you're 50. Um, you know, I think I've come to the point where I just appreciate things a lot more. And I think that my advice to people would be not what they would want to hear. It would be just slow down. Um, don't look on your phone all the time. Just look out what's going on. I think f these phones are going to be the new smoking. I think it's going to be that bad for these kids. Um, and we're so inundated with um, technology right now. We need to slow down and we need to figure out a way, whether it's through yoga, whether it's through meditation, you need to exercise, you need to, it's all, you have to have a balanced life. And I could talk to somebody who's 22 years old and it'll go in one ear and out the other. And maybe when they get older, um, it'll come to fruition. But at the end of the day, we all have to, the young kids, I particularly, and look, these kids are ridiculously, I teach classes at Stanford. Every one of these kids is brilliant. And um, I'm just trying to tell them, look, if it takes six months to do something or a year, that's okay if it doesn't take, if you don't do it in two weeks or four weeks. So slow down, look at time from a different perspective, 
and just appreciate things and just be have a lot of gratitude and yeah. surround yourself surround yourself really that's the other thing is surround yourself with good people because again who you surround yourself with is a lot of you know who you're going to be you know i look at it if i were to have given you a career it would have been as a professor as a teacher that that is who you are you have a teacher's heart so who comes to mind for you ron diamond as you look back at your career and you look forward of all the cool stuff you still have going on who's the toughest person you've known from a business standpoint you decide toughest person i've known well it's a it's a, it's a good question um and it could mean a whole bunch of different things. Um, you know, when I was probably starting out and, you know, if, if I wanted to get in the door to a meeting um, with the CEO of a company and, you know, they acted as if they were doing me this huge favor, I don't think there's one particular person that I could say this person was the toughest person. I can say that I remember um, when I was uh, in college, I, was, I went to Northwestern, and I vividly remember I, I called this guy, I was a sophomore, and I called this guy, uh, Mr. M was his name. And all I wanted to do was I wanted to get a summer internship. I wasn't asking for money. I wasn't asking, I was asking to learn and, and not pay me for it. And I remember vividly that I called him and he was like so offended that I would have the audacity to call him. And all I was doing is asking him, I want an internship. Is there anybody, you know, do you have anything at your, at your firm or is there anybody that you know that might, you know, might have that? And my takeaway from that is I will never under any circumstances ever make anybody feel the way he made me feel. At one point, he was 22, he was 18 years old too, or 19 in a sophomore at college too. So look, we're all in this together and, and you just have to treat people thoughtfully. You have to be nice. You have to be compassionate. And I think, you know, look, we're at an inflection point in the world with what's going on in, in the White House right now. I, I do think that, you know, things like empathy um, are going to become much compassion are going to become much more important than they were 10 years ago. And that is why it was truly an honor to have you on Life's Tough. Ron Diamond is tougher. Thank you again, Ron. Thank you. Pleasure being on here. It's 2021. It is a new year. And as we said during the show, it's a new mindset. Most people will live their lives having relatively no structure, having no accountability. Ron gave us some advice today. He said to work smart. What does that mean exactly? Well, I would suggest writing down what is your day going to look like? What are the things that could be put off? What are the things that have to be done right now? Knowing you only have so much time, not just in the day, but during your life. And accountability comes in many different ways. You see, Ron, Ron could have retired, but he didn't. He chose a path that said, I know I can help others through their journey. That takes a heart to lift others up. Find someone in your circle. Find someone in your community that you can lift up. Life's tough. You can be tougher. And don't forget, what divides us pales in comparison to what unites us.